This is Camp Hacker. Come find our show notes and our blog for camp directors and leaders at camphacker.tv. Good day and welcome to the podcast. This is Camp Hacker episode 118, recorded on the 30th of October, 2019. On today's show, supporting LGBTQ plus families and campers. You can tune into the Camp Hacker feed every two weeks for the next episode of the Camp Hacker podcast. But just so you don't miss out, we recommend that you subscribe to Camp Hacker in whatever podcast app you have on your phone. Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you want. As well, if you enjoy the podcast, we'd be so grateful if you left us a review on those podcast sites. Not only do those reviews help other people find the show, but they help us continue to make the type of podcasts that best support the camping industry. For those of you who have left us reviews, and those of you who haven't, but soon will, thanks for lending your awesome out, Camp Mavericks. This Camp Hacker podcast is sponsored in part by Rad Tags. Designed by a former owner and camp director, Rad Tags is about connecting people to who they are, the camp they love, and the accomplishments they experience there. Rad Tags bracelets and tags help your camp community stay connected to their happiest place. Find out what Rad Tags has to offer your camp at zoic.ca slash rad. That's Z-O-I-C dot C-A slash R-A-D. Rad Tags, be and be known. We hope you enjoy the Camp Hacker Show. Hello, Camp Pros, and welcome to the Camp Hacker Podcast. My name is Travis Allison. I'm a summer camp marketing and strategy consultant, and I run campmavericks.com and the Summer Camp Professionals Group on Facebook. And my name is Gabrielle Rail, and I'm one of the camp directors at Camp Waro. Camp Waro is an all-girls camp situated in the Laurentian Mountains in Quebec, Canada, and we focus on creating a positive female community. And my name is Joe Richards. I'm the executive director at Pierce Williams, which is a summer camp and a retreat facility. Um, we are part of the United Church of Canada's summer camp uh, network um, across Canada. And we, Pierce Williams is located about halfway between, in Fingal, Ontario, but halfway between Detroit and Toronto. I'm Emily McGranahan. I am the Director of Family Engagement with Family Equality Council, which is a national organization that works for the lived and legal equality of LGBTQ parents and their children. And in that role for five years, I have planned Family Week in Provincetown, which is a week-long gathering. It is the largest gathering of LGBTQ families in the world. And this summer, we celebrated 25 years in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Hi, my name is Ross Murray. I'm the founder and director of The Naming Project, which is an LGBTQ Christian summer camp uh, for youth, which is located in central Minnesota. I live in New York, uh, but uh, youth come from all over the country to be on an island and do little queer church camp stuff. My name is Chris Hudson. I'm one of the camp directors at Camp Highlight, which is a one-week sleepaway camp for kids who have LGBTQ plus parents. The camp is in Pennsylvania, and we've been going strong for 10 years now. I'm Nick Teich. I'm the founder and director of Camp Aeronutic and Harbor Camps, our larger organization. Uh, Camp Aeronutic is for transgender and non-binary youth. Um, we have multi-week sessions. We run all summer. We also have family camps. Um, and our camp is in New Hampshire and in the off-season. I live outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Welcome, everybody. I'm so grateful that you're here to join us today. Um, so we are going to be talking about a number of um, issues around or ways that camps can support LGBTQ plus families. And uh, so we brought in lots of special guests today to help us out with that. So I thought we'd start off today with just 
generally from each of you or from a couple of you, why this is an issue that it's important for us to be intentional about and thoughtful about how we handle um, supporting kids or LGBTQ plus or families. Uh, it's our, why is this issue important enough that we're having a discussion about it today and that camps are being ever more intentional about this? Emily, do you mind starting us off? Absolutely. Well, several reasons. I mean, one is just the numbers. We know that LGBTQ identifying youth or people um, who, or youth who someday will identify as LGBTQ are, are going to camps. We're just, we're part of every community. And LGBTQ headed families are increasingly raising youth um, and raising children. And that boom is just going to be continuing. So it's so important now that spaces that are for youth and for families are doing that work now because we're already here and it's only going to be growing. And LGBTQ identifying individuals and people with LGBTQ parents, youth uh, experience isolation, uh, bullying, discrimination, all kinds of feelings of not being affirmed at all ages. This is not something that suddenly happens once a youth is in high school or outside of high school. So it is so important that any space that is for youth youth is celebrating, affirming, and recognizing all of their identities and celebrating and affirming and recognizing different family formations and validating those as well. I'll say I've kind of found uh, that we describe the naming project as like a place of exploration in terms of like understanding who you are, what your identity is, how you relate to the rest of the world, what kind of relationships you want to form. And I think a set aside safe place allows young people to be able to do that. My, my argument's always been that's, that's what we're supposed to be doing during adolescence. Um, but, when, but when we're among other folks having to explain or uh, I hate the word justify, but, but something like that to, talk, to help to educate and explain to other folks who we are doesn't give us actually space to explore and understand that for ourselves. So we always see our camp as a set aside safe space where people can question, what do I believe? Who am I? How do I relate to the rest of the world? How do I identify? And, and let them think and talk through that without having a concern of how whatever they say or think or believe or just utter out loud is going to get taken by, by someone else who doesn't fully understand the community. Thanks, Ross. Nick, for you, what's, what's the thing that kids are getting out of this, this camp experience what are the, what are the, that they're not getting at home or that, that you're purposely focused on celebrating with, with the kids at your camps? Well, for transgender kids and, and non-binary gender non-conforming kids, um, it's really great for them to all be together with others who understand them without having to utter a word about it. So a lot of our kids come just for camp. We're very much rooted in summer camp, the sort of, you know, experience that your parents might remember or even your grandparents or that you, you've seen in the media, you know, what is summer camp? It's just sort of something that is fun and it's kids being kids and it's gaining confidence. Um, but at the same time, uh, we are we are rooted in that and we have kids who are all like each other in some fundamental way and different in many other ways, which is great. And what's really important is that they know that whether or not they talk about it, no matter how much or how little they talk about it at camp, 
it is just knowing that is very, very powerful. And it gives them confidence. It gives them resilience to have the staff and volunteers who are also trans identified or gender non-binary identified. It's really great to be able to see that and say, hey, you know, I can be successful, you know, when I get older, whatever that means to them. So I think it's huge in that it is just this sort of atmosphere we provide and there's something unspoken there that they can all understand and they know coming into it. Um, and they can choose to talk about it with each other or they can choose to concentrate on, you know, improving their basketball skills. And maybe that's the only thing they really care about. Uh, but deep down, you know, they're loving the fact that they don't have to explain themselves and they can just be the, you know, they can really just be themselves. Um, and in our family camps, certainly, the family camps consist of uh, a trans or non-binary kid and that person, that kid's family. So um, parents, guardians, siblings, sometimes extended family, um, and, and really just having all of them understand that there's plenty of other people like them and how to best support their kid. And Chris, for you, what's the, what's the importance of providing this space for families and kids? So at Camp Highlight, our population are children who have LGBTQ parents. So the children may or may not identify as LGBTQ, which is, it's a very interesting interaction that happens there because uh, here are children who in some sense have to come out to their friends. They have a whole coming out process about who their families are and they share uh, not the same, but they share a type of trepidation that LGBTQ youth share, although it is not the same sort of issue. Uh, and what we found is that when we brought these kids together, the relief <laughs> that they feel in not having to come out, as um, Nick talked about, they all understand this about each other. They understand that they don't have to play the pronoun game when they talk about their parents. They don't have to be vague, etc. cetera. Uh, I think the, the space is really important for them to grow and develop a real pride in their family and the way that their family is set up. I, over the years that we've done this, we've really seen some of our kids move from like a begrudging acceptance of their parents to something they really celebrate and they think is special about them and their family. Yeah, that's great. Nice to have a home where that is the case and others to be around for that. Um, we sort of jump right in on things and, and I skipped over the, the introduction part of this, but I wanted people to understand where we're going with the show and some of the, the issues that we're going to be talking about today. Chris, I wonder if I could come back to you and um, just get you to, to uh, what I wonder is how you got connected to the idea of summer camp. Do you have camp in your background and then your connection to highlight as well? Uh, sure. So I, I have been working at summer camps since, since I was 19 years old. I stumbled into it because I was like, I like kids, I'll hang out with them. And then it was the rest of my life. <laughs> so um, that was my connection working at various camps. And many years ago, uh, with a friend of mine, we were talking about starting our own camp and couldn't really get excited about it until we started thinking about at the time, we were thinking about uh, how all the Republican candidates for president in, the, in that moment were going on TV talking about people's families, about how they wanted to pass constitutional amendments that would bar people from adopting or marrying. And I remember thinking to myself, what must it be like to be seven, eight, nine years old 
watching the person who wants to be president say that your parents are trying to harm you. Like, where, where do you go from that? What, how do you wake up the next day and go about your business as a child? So uh, me and my friend Jackie McGowan, the other director of Camp Highlight, we started talking and we got this idea that, well, let us create a space where these kids can come together and find a kind of communion with each other. So that was 10 years ago, and we're still the camp directors of the camp. And like I said, it's going great. We've spun off, we have a program for teens now, and we had our second family camp this past uh, October, which was a great space for the parents to come with the kids. And Chris, are you where, are, are all of your programs based on the same facility or are you at different places? So the camp programs are based at, at a camp in Warnersville, Pennsylvania, which is right outside of Reading, Pennsylvania. And we do things during the year, whether it be get togethers, reunions, sleepovers, and we do those Jersey, wherever we can find a space to bring people together. But the camp part of our programs happen in Pennsylvania. Awesome. Thanks for being here, Chris. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Emily, for you, what's your connection to summer camp? I did not grow up attending sleepaway summer camps at all, um, but I did actually attend family week for the first time when I was 13. And I went, I lived in Massachusetts with my moms and we decided one summer our, our family vacation was going to be going to Provincetown, Massachusetts for family week. And before then, I had never met anybody else who had an LGBTQ parent. I didn't know anybody else who had a family like mine. And just as I think both really Nick, Chris, and Ross have all said, being in a space with other teens who had families like mine and as, as different as mine could be, you know, just so many different family formations, but that, that centering experience of having it, being part of an LGBTQ family absolutely changed my life. It, it, I can just say that hands down changed my life. And it really impacted my parents too, who got to witness that. And over the years, then I kept going back and attending as a teen, volunteering for years. And then when I joined Family Equality as a staff person, I got to plan Family Week. And so now I've seen the whole new generation of fellow people with LGBTQ parents, this incredible boom in the ages. Um, and so it's something that is deeply personal and deeply meaningful to me. Um, and that is true of really all of the volunteers and staff at Family Week as well. That's awesome. That's great. So Ross, what's your connection to camp? How did you get uh, how did you get started? Yeah, I grew up attending um, the same camp uh, in northern Minnesota, a Lutheran church camp. Uh, and I started, I think, when I was in the third grade and just kind of evolved through the stages that you do as you age, sort of like the adult senior high volunteer, the staff and training, the counselor, the program director, like that. That was the trajectory. Um, and then it was it was soon after that we, we were approached uh, by by someone who said, "Are there any uh, church religious resources for LGBTQ youth?" And, and at the time, we did a lot of searching and didn't find a lot of anything, and sort of said, "Oh, we'll create our own." And actually, begin it as a weekly meeting in Minneapolis uh, at, in a church basement. And someone quickly came and said, "You know, I've always had this idea of doing 
a summer camp, a church camp, like the ones that we had all grown up at, the three of us that started this together, um, and having this be all LGBTQ kids. What would that different dynamic look like? What would that be? And so we kind of put this program together, mostly making it look just like the Lutheran church camps that the three of us had attended, um, and kind of patterning, patterning the whole program off of that. And then that was 15 years ago. So since then, we've taken that idea and it's sort of tweaked and evolved and the nature of the youth that have come have changed. Although it's funny because I still find that I teach or sing some of those same songs that I was probably singing as a third grader. Um, and they still have this longevity and lifeblood that I seem to know really well and I can still kind of share them with a passion. So, so we found this space in central Minnesota called Bay Lake Camp. It's an island uh, in Bay Lake, which is great because then we are physically set apart from the rest of the world. You have to get on a boat to get to it. Um, you feel sort of away from everything else. Uh, and it's really been that really good set, of, set apart space. Um, it's a highlight of the year. I'm exhausted by the end of that week um, as are all the adult volunteers. But I think it's also, it, it's just fun um, as well as being fulfilling. I realize these, the, the young people that are campers are really engaging and fun and funny. Um, and we're a family sort of dynamic that uh, we're gonna, we're gonna kind of feel everything over the course of a week in what is a really safe space for us to be ourselves and feel safe to be able to be ourselves. I love that it's a bit of a hero's journey to arrive at camp um, for your camp. That's fun. I, I often have them start with like some occasion I've had them like yell some sort of chant as we like take off in this pontoon. And it's this like old pontoon that we've piled a bunch of luggage onto. So it's not, it's not the most heroic looking thing, but I'll make it sound heroic. Maybe not the most heroic, but sounds very campy. <laughs> very. Very campy. That's awesome. Uh, and Nick, what was your connection to summer camp? I went to an eight-week camp in Maine for my entire childhood um, and loved it. I loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved the friends. I loved the atmosphere, being on a lake and just being away. I grew up in New York City, so it was quite different from that. And um, as I got older and I couldn't return year round after I'd gone through, been a counselor and a member of the camp leadership, I couldn't go back year round. So I started to volunteer at a different summer camp. That was a one week uh, nonprofit charity camp. Uh, I knew some of the people that started that. And I started to volunteer there. And then a few years after that, um, came into my own gender transition, which was something that I hadn't uh, realized as a kid because nobody was talking about that stuff back in the you know early 90s. And so once I told them uh, about my transition, thinking about the people that were on the board of this camp, I, I actually didn't think it was going to be a huge deal to them uh, about you know me returning. And they called me on the phone with their whole board and a lawyer. And they said, you can't come back for the good of the kids. Uh, we just can't have you and goodbye. So that was a very unexpected thing that happened to me, although it happens to trans people every day and other LGBTQ people. And I thought about camp and overnight camp specifically and kids 
who know that they're trans or gender nonconforming as kids, what do they do? And that was it. That's where the idea came from. We started as a one week camp in um, renting a camp in Connecticut. And we've now grown, this will be our 11th summer. And um, we serve like about almost 700 campers per summer. Um, and we bought our own, uh, we raised a capital campaign and bought our own property in New Hampshire. And so it's been this thing that just sort of happened um, because of the need. And it's been really wonderful, but it originally came out of my love for overnight camp and just thinking any kid who wants to should have the opportunity to do that. Um, and so we also spend a lot on financial aid and, and that's really, really important to us as well. But um, that's sort of just an aside. So for you, Nick, what are the moments or, I don't know, the, the songs, whatever it is about your own camp experience growing up that, that you were super specific? We need to make sure we have this in camp. Yeah, it's funny because some of my old camp friends will make fun of me when they find out the schedule of our camp because it's almost identical to what we had. Um, I sort of took the parts I liked and left out the parts I didn't, uh, gave the kids a little more free time. But it was really, I remember at night with my bunk mates just talking and hanging out, playing cards and um, feeling like we were having a fun sleepover for like two months. Um, and I think about some of the things being out on the lake, being in a canoe, stuff that you just don't do um, in most people in their day-to-day -day lives now just don't get to do. And I think about, you know, the setting. So I wanted a really beautiful, you know, nature-y setting. I wanted bunks, you know, cabins that were campy and, you know, people had to suffer through being really hot or being really cold and figure out how to deal with that. Um, and to just feel like a family. Uh, I, I remember at camp just feeling like even my first year when I was really young, I felt like the, after the first full day or the second day, I had friends. And it's very rare to feel like that in, in other places now. Uh, and certainly, I think one of the biggest things that we all you know, think about is camp is one of the last places on earth now where people are forming face-to-face -face friendships and relationships and they're talking to each other face-to-face -face and they're not looking down at their phones in most cases. And uh, that remains very, very, very important to us. But I guess if I had to pinpoint one thing, I really remember those nights just kind of like hanging out and feeling like we were growing up together. And I wanted that for our kids at Aeronutic. And I, you know, I hope we're delivering that. That is certainly the thing that sticks with me in my head is the discussions in the dark um, about crazy things, everyday things. It's a, a great camp moment. So Joe, for you, what is, why is it important that we are intentionally welcoming, intentionally creating spaces um, for our kids who, um, who may not have spaces in other places? I think being intentional is a whole part of camp, right? That we have these activities and things we do because we want a certain result. Um, and to be, uh, to be welcoming is, is key for all, for all campers. Um, the, the questions, as I listen to our guests speak, it's, it's this idea of 
what is integration versus separation, right? Like when you're a camp that, and we don't offer any specific programming, but I know, I know we have a ton of staff and a ton of camp families who identify in a variety of ways and trust us with their children who also identify in a variety of ways um, without us intentionally saying that that's one of the things that we do. And so I, I think it's really important that we offer a space where, right, the, the intention of all of our spaces is this idea that you want to give people a place where they can be themselves, right? We, we have a new camp director starting in a couple of days and, and her, her phrase is camp, let me discover who I really was and let me be that person, right? And moving forward to be that person all the time. And I think that there's so many people with, um, <coughs> excuse me, so many people with, with challenges in life that camp isn't, uh, isn't, camp is a place where they can set all of those things aside. So, so I think it's really important that we give them the space and the, the freedom to be who they want to be, right? And, and to be who they are, not who they, just who they want to be, but who they actually are and not limit them and not have your board and a lawyer call you, call somebody up and be like, ah, nope, right? Like it's, it's, I think that we, I think the discussions we all need to have, um, we should have had years ago to get to where we are now. Um, and, and as part of the United Church of Canada, which is one of the most, um, for those who may not know, one of the most left-leaning things you can be and still be called a church, um, it, right? There's, there, there are those resources um, and there are, there's a ton of social justice and LGBTQ things um, that come through my email inbox every week. Um, and people I can connect with to say, um, what do we do in this situation? And I think that th all of that helps me, Travis, with creating those safe spaces and a safe place where, where a variety of parents can, um, can feel like their children are, are safe and, and can interact with, with other people in that integrated space. Kev, I wonder what you think in you, you're in this great position where you have connections with so many different camp organizations. I wonder how you think camps can best um, begin to prepare themselves to be much more open and to be better at looking after um, all of the kids that come through our doors. Mm. I think it. I think. Um, I think it's first to understand that. Um, the pull between visibility and invisibility um, that's going on. And I think that within a lot of social media and um, in movies and uh, people from Hollywood, there's a very strong visibility. Queer representation has really gone up in the past couple of years. And I think that for people that are, um, that are allies and are supportive may see our world as shifting and may see that oh this is now a safe space for queer youth that it's now accepted etc cetera, etc cetera, with of course some some exceptions in certain areas but it, it's moving forward and i think the reality is that's not the case the reality is that there is a visibility that is almost out 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 of touch and 
within our closer, the real life uh, experiences of campers is that there isn't necessarily that visibility. There's actually more of an invisibility. So there's a dual experience that's happening with a lot of our youth, which is in some areas it's accepted, but at home within my community, within my camp, is that accepted? And I think that what we have to first understand is that representation within our organizations is extremely important um, and, and being intentional about that representation is um, just as important. And starting with your staff and having those open uh, dialogues. Um, and when I say start with your staff, I mean when you're starting with your interview process, what are you putting online? What are you putting on your website? To say that you're, not that you're open, that it is 100% a value system that everyone is accepted. And uh, Nick, I was listening to, to what you were saying and I got a little, I got teary eyed when you were talking about where you, you, you know, you can go back uh, within that organization. And I remember as a kid with uh, my folks, I grew up at summer camp and, and, um, and so we had a lot of, most of my, my parents' friends are, are camp directors or camp professionals. And I remember I was probably about 12 or 13 years old when um, a good friend of ours came over. Um, I, I you know, thought of him as, a, as an uncle, a, a wonderful individual, and he just was so passionate about his job as a camp director, uh, his position as a camp director, and he loved kids and staff so much. And, um, and he came over and, uh, and he just looked different. He looked broken and and he had told my parents that he lost his job because he had he, he was outed and it, it was so painful to to see an experience and I think that this is a fear for a lot of people and um, and especially when you're working with children if you're not an organization that is very transparent that you're open to to everyone um, people where people are hesitant to come out, they're hesitant. So starting with your staff, uh, being aware that being visible is really important because we do live in invisibility uh, when it's in the everyday life um, is, a, is a first step and making sure that in your staff hiring process, that's, that's the direction to start. And of course we can get into a whole bunch of other things uh, when it comes to your campers and, and your, just your physical environment at camp. I'll throw this out to whoever wants to start off the part of it, but how can we, um, how's the best way for us to communicate this uh, open community that Gab's describing? How's the best way for us to, um, to represent that to people who may be searching for a safe place for their kids, a safe place for their family? So one thing that came to mind when, um, yeah, when you were talking about that invisibility and visibility, I feel like so many things for LGBTQ families, you know, it's almost like it's it's something that is invisible for others. Like they won't even notice a form, uh, photos on a site, language that is used. You know, if, uh, parents get that, families get that signal from the beginning. If they see parent one and parent two, parent slash caregiver one and two, right away, that is a very fast signal that for many people, maybe they just sign their names and they don't think about it. But for people who are used to having to cross things out or seeing any kind of intake form that it says from the beginning, oh, this isn't for my family. My family doesn't fall into this, or they're specifically asking for gender identity, and your your gender identity is not there. Or you, it's it's an immediate signal that it is. This is going to be something that I'm. You're, you're having that upward battle from the beginning just to be 
on an on a on a form. And so something as simple as that really gets those signals. And I have to say, I think it's great to be explicit to say, and we celebrate all all families, including LGBTQ families or youth. You know, something as simple as that one quick text makes a difference. The images that are used really makes a difference. The way that staff is prepared to even just talk with youth. Something that we do at Family Week in Provincetown, you know, we really talk with our staff in advance of, okay, let's just practice gender neutral language. So we'd instead of asking, oh, is this your son or daughter? You can ask, is this your kiddo? We just use kiddo and, and that's simple. So you could say campers. And that's a very simple way to have gender neutral language from the beginning. Similarly to ask, you know, Who's at home? What does your family look like? Um, do you have siblings? Who's your grown-up? You know, especially we're in a space where it's youth and parents in the same space. Instead of asking like, "Do you have moms or dads?" or "Where's your mom?" or "Where's your dad?" we just say, "You looking for your grown-up? Let you know. You look a little lost. Let me help you find your grown-up." And it's that some of those ways are just um, signals that will be passed by by I think many people. But the folks that are looking for those signals, my like. My personally, my family, like we latch onto that. Like this, this is what shows me that um, some of those initial steps are being taken. And then there's certainly significantly more. But if you just, um, and I think that significantly more is really important because there's one thing to say everyone is welcome at our camp. Look at our photos. Look at our language. And then it's different to be in a space and to be talking about historical figure figures who are LGBTQ or athletes who are LGBTQ and celebrating that or to have adults or mentors or teens feeling safe to be able to come out and have that just be part of a conversation so that youth are seeing that uh, modeled for them. There's so many other ways to really do meaningful things, to have gender neutral restrooms and bathroom options. Like all of those pieces are ways to then put things into practice. So it's not simply on paper, but is really happening in person too. Can I jump on that? I think one thing I've sort of noticed for, for me is um, the first year that campers come to the naming project, I you get a lot of like really nervous parents who want to know what is this place that I'm sending my child to. And I've, they've been very upfront by saying that, right? They're like, I am putting my child on an airplane and sending them to a state that we've never visited to a place when I don't know any of you people, right? So I get on the phone with parents and sort of talk. And one of the things I've realized is that parents are not always in the greatest place of understanding or at least knowing the language about how to talk about their children. Um, and they are, you know, they're, they're good parents that are very concerned for their child's safety, but probably the learning curve for them, especially if they're not LGBTQ themselves, they're probably still somewhere, you know, somewhere behind where their child's thinking about themselves or where I, you know, what kind of language I might use. And so I recognize a lot that talking with parents is figuring out that they're going to use what, you know, incorrect language. I've had parents that, you know, have um, misgendered or used the wrong name for their child too. And I'm kind of taking all that in. One, because my goal in this conversation is to make sure the parents feel assured that we're a safe place for their child. And so kind of hearing all of that, um, where they are, being in a conversation with the child camper directly, you know, about who they are and how they identify and, and letting them know that we're a place that is going to let them um, switch and change. And just because parents write something on the registration form in terms of a name or a gender or a pronoun or anything like that too, if the child tells us something, we're going to believe what the child says and adapt over to that. Um, but sometimes it is a little bit of that translation. And sometimes talking with youth about how to talk with their parents about their identity. Um, we've had some instances where um, 
you know, where parents maybe understood their child to be gay or lesbian, but their child's actually on a, a journey of, of, of gender identity as well, that maybe hasn't been shared with the parent. And again, it's the safe place where they get to try that, to be that, to use that language and, and understand how it feels with, that they weren't able to do at home. So it, it's hard because I'm, I have no hard and fast rules about how to do it. I kind of take a lot. Um, even, even if I don't like the language I'm hearing or um, recognize, and I realize like I can hold that of like, okay, where are they? And how do I get them into a place to make sure they're going to be a good, loving, accepting parent for their child? And what's the, what are the things that are gonna help them do that? Either with work directly back with the parent or helping the camper figure out how to communicate and talk to their parent and talk about their lives and talk about their identity. Also letting them know, you know who they are. And I, and I found that to be really interesting for parents that are not LGBTQ trying to find a safe place for their children and the worries the parent have may not be the same worries that the, that the campers have. Christopher, you folks, what, what are some of the, um, some of the ways that camps can either through the work that you've done or that you've noticed that, that camps can be better at signaling their openness and being more caring for, for all, all kids. I think along the lines of what Emily was saying, it's really important to, um, put your money where your mouth is, so to speak, because it's one thing to say, I get a lot of camps who are um, contact me and ask me how they can be more open to trans campers, uh, how, you know, how they can adapt and with the changing sort of gender stuff that's going on. And I think that a lot of them want their hearts in the right place uh, and they want policies and they want to know what to write and what to put in their staff training. Um, but they are not really getting that you have to live that culture in order for the kids to feel safe. And I think that's, I mean, that transcends gender, race, everything. You know, you can't just say we are an open place and then, you know, 75% of your kids are making, you know, jokes about gay and trans people. Um, so I think it's really important to do the work and take your time in doing that and don't be ashamed to say, you know what, maybe we're not ready to take out transgender kids because we want to get ready for that. And I think when I hear somebody say, I don't know that our organization is ready, I think we need to get ready. I actually admire that because I think that um, they're, they're thinking about it rather than, well, how do we sort of jump on this bandwagon and advertise that were you know a safe space for everyone and then the kid gets there and they're like well actually you have to live in this kind of a bunk or they get there and all of you know these kids are making fun of them and they have a terrible experience so i think that's really really important to build that and that could take years but um you know i wouldn't want to send somebody refer somebody to a camp that i thought hadn't done the legwork and I, I consult with some camps who are interested in being more LGBTQ friendly. And to, to follow up on what Nick is saying is that you, you do have to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. As Emily said before, now everyone is hip to the game of putting it on the website. Like, oh, we welcome everyone. But then you get there and the question is, how do you celebrate um, our community? 
yeah, I feel like, you know, I'm a child of the 80s and the early part of the 80s was all about tolerating alternate lifestyles. Then the 90s hit and people discovered diversity. It was about accepting them. And how in the new century, it's really about celebration. So if, the, if, if a camp or a program is just sort of like, sure, we welcome everyone, what does that look like? And most often when it comes to our issues, it's like, well, we have gender neutral bathrooms. And it's like, do you understand that gay and trans people have other issues in these environments that's not just about the bathroom? And usually that stumps a lot of people. But understanding that it's what conversations are you having with the kids about, say, pronouns? What conversations are you having about families? And are they forward thinking, like celebratory conversations, or are they begrudging sort of half-hearted conversations because then as a parent, that's not a safe place that I want to send my kid. This episode of the Camp Hacker podcast is sponsored by Rad Tags. Rad Tags is outfitting camps with personalized keepsakes that speak without saying a word. Rad Tags allows you to show someone they belong, building a relationship that goes beyond their last day at camp. With the goal of helping camps create awesome recognition and affiliate programs that last beyond the summer, Rad Tags is doing a monthly giveaway for GoCampro listeners. Just email your answer to the following question to matt at gocamp.pro and be entered to win five silicone bracelets with the Rad hand sign. Each month, we'll pick a new winner. This month's question is, how important are camp recognition programs to your legacy or camp tradition? Don't forget, email your answer to matt at gocamp.pro with Rad Tags contest in the subject line. Also, Rad Tags is coming to ACA National. Be one of the first 50 people to booth number 522 and shout out, I'm a GoCamp Pro podcast listener for a special gift from Rad Tags and us at GoCamp Pro. To find out more about how Rad Tags can elevate your camp program, visit zoic.ca slash rad. That's Z-O-I-C ca slash rad rad tags b and be known so i wonder chris from the stuff that you're talking about and open this up to anybody to answer but um what are the sort of things that camps are missing in going from just a public statement of acceptance what are the things that are missing that um that takes them from we declare this, we hereby declare, uh, into practically all kids feel comfortable, um, parents and, and, and the children there are comfortable, welcomed, feel like they have a place there. At the risk of repeating myself, I think I would say, and this is usually the conversation I have with camps is what is, what is your camp about? Like, what is the mission statement of your camp? And mostly people are like, we want to give children an opportunity to learn and to grow. And I was like, well, part of learning and growing is discussing different kinds of lifestyles, different ways that people can be to be more celebratory of those lifestyles. I think, like I said, at the risk of repeating myself, it's important to me that camps that are in the business of educating children, this is a type of education, it's youth development, is that they put that at the forefront, especially in this century, especially now when we are working so hard to bridge gaps. I think people who run camps and work at camps are in a prime position to really move that to the forefront. And I I just don't see how you don't do that in this day and age. And so, yeah, on your website, people are gonna say whatever, but you've got to walk the walk. Your curriculum, 
what, whether you call it a curriculum or guidelines or whatever, has got to include conversations about difference. I, I want to um, just, that's so important what Chris just said and the, the way that we've talked about it, especially for camps that are not LGBTQ specific like ours are, but ones that want to be inclusive. I think, and this is true of camps and also because I do work in youth ministry world, youth ministry in general, I think the approach so far has been really logistical, almost seeing LGBTQ youth as like the problem to be solved. What do we do about sleeping arrangements? What do we do about someone being in our group? Um, and what we try to get them to think about is what are your values? Um, what's your mission as an organization? What's your mission as a camp or as a church or as a youth group? You know, what's the most important thing to you? And if you can really clearly articulate what your values and what your mission is, the logistical stuff often ends up answering itself because now you have guidelines for what way to make a decision. Because I think every time we give like a, you know, a hard and fast rule of you have to do housing arrangements this way, you have to set up um, you know, you have to put this in your curriculum, you have to create a policy, you have to, you know, build something in a specific way. There's always going to be some reason that there's an exception to that rule and then people don't know what to do. But I think if you also go back to like, if, if it's important for us to make sure that young people are safe, um, that they learn, that they grow, you know, that they, and you can define those things, then you say, okay, we're going to create this arrangement this way because that's what's going to accomplish the goals that we have. Um, this is how we're, this is how we'll, we'll um, this is how we'll run things because it will ladder up to the goals and that will help us. And I think that I think right now I want to get away from logistics and the seeing this as a problem to be solved and rather like this is a thing that we get to live out in a variety of different ways. And it's probably not just going to be good for LGBTQ kids. It's probably going to be good for a lot of other campers and parents and families um, because we're also meeting unspoken needs that other people tend to have. And, and I think that, uh, Ross, with what you're talking about with the, the getting away from, from logistics, it's, it's, it's actually just pausing for a moment, not panicking too much, and looking at your clientele, looking at your families and saying, I know these people, they know me. We've, I, I take care of their children. Um, they trust me with their children. And, and I know that, as I mentioned at the beginning of, of the podcast, our our camp is, um, is for um, uh, people that identify as, as, as female. And, and we've had, of course, families that have approached us, approached us um, with trans uh, children. And, um, and the way that we've worked with our families is, and, and creating a safe space, as Nick was talking about, is, is we know what uh, cabin group she would be in, is approaching those families of course, with the consent of the other of, of the other family, and talking to them about what steps can we take so that we're creating a uh, an already safe place within her within her cabin, and and what does that mean? What does that look like? And just that education, and and just having that conversation because not parent not all parents are educated, not all parents know how to, but their intentions are there. They want to, but they might not know how to, and having the parents on board. And, and then having the campers on board and just starting there small um, and having, having that conversation, um, you know, of course, put in the logistics, of, port, of course, put in the framework, but also uh, create that, that conversation and say, hey, we're doing this together. Let's figure it out together. Let's, let's, see, if, let's see if this feels right um, for the family that is taking that, that risk. 
and and reach out to your families that have been with you and buy into your camp's mission that believes that it's a space for their kids to grow and develop and be their authentic selves. And that is, it, it really does seem that most camps, that is the goal. And so that is what they're, most families are interested in. They just might not have the vocabulary or the know-how and, and to just, and, and to, and to start small that way. And for us that has worked really, really well. And there's been a high appreciation on our end um, to approach that way. Yeah. I love that idea of, of setting those expectations from the beginning. Um, that is something that at family week we're doing more of with um, like a code of conduct that we're sharing with families in advance. Like these are our expectations of when interacting at family week, how we will respect and affirm one another. And he, you know, and so that is something that we share in advance with families. And so then we can go back and mention and talk with folks about, and similarly, you know, at, at family week collage, um, which is an organization, it's part of family equality, but it's a program of family equality that is by and for people with LGBTQ parents. And they then run youth programming at family week. And, from the start, from the first day, and this is ages seven to you know eighteen, there is a a conversation of um, our living language and talking about like common terms we're going to be using. We're going to be talking about our families. So, what does lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, divorce, adoption, like what do all of these things mean? And I think that's a great way to also be thinking about how those conversations and how adults in some of these spaces are setting those expectations for youth. Like we're, let's talk about a, a common language that we can all use and why it matters. Let's talk about pronouns and not just go around and say what our pronouns are, but let's talk about why it's important we're doing this or, or, you know, what does this mean though? That part education, part setting expectations starts to kind of level the the field for everyone and so allies are able to really step up because they have that language and that includes then um, those allies who are parents that can then be educating and doing some of that legwork in advance for their own children um, if they don't identify as lgbtq or a part of an lgbtq family they can do some of that legwork before going to camp so once they're there those kids are much better prepared to be allies to youth who are coming out um, and that's what those youth need because it's also a lot of work if you are, as I experienced many times, like the only one of a particular identity in a space, that's a lot potentially and often a lot of pressure on that youth. So it's so valuable to have allies at all levels, peers, mentors, administration that are vocally um, celebrating the all identities and talking about it and not just being like, I'm okay with it, but like, I'll whisper that I'm okay with it, but shouting that um, without sometimes even someone having to come out publicly, but just making that the expectation of the space. That we talk internally as directors at camps that aren't specific is really, really important, right? It's the same, it's very similar to the idea of change uh, and when you're changing a culture. And for a lot of camps, you're changing. Um, sometimes people see, um, see any introduction of acceptance um, as a change that they, well, we didn't used to do that. Um, it's the same as adding a new program. And I think the, the reality is the way that you talk about it, the way that we talk about it is really the key for campers to understand everybody else's differences and accept them in the place. Um, in the end, what Ross was saying and, and Gab, right? Like 
my mind always just goes to it's just logistics, right? It's not that's not the big deal, right? Five thousand people want to rent my site. Yeah, I can. I have enough acreage. I can host that. But where are you going to sleep them? Just logistics. I can figure that out. If you're going to pay me money, I can. I can make that happen. And so, I think the way that we speak and the way that we call out people who don't speak properly, right, is is key. I think there's there's a lot of times where people are too accepting of other people's racism and uh, and homophobia and and all of those things without calling it out. And and I think it's it's a challenge in today's society where we we're like, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings, and I'm like, you can you can hurt their feelings if they talk that way because they need, I don't know how else we're going to get them, get the message across to them. Um, which is, which is one of those things because camp is such an accepting place and you're like, well, I'm about to make it not as accepting for the way that you think, which probably comes from your parents and, and the way you've been raised. And, and I'm going to introduce a brand new concept that you're going to go back and your parents might be pissed off about, but, I'm I'm willing to stand up to that. I'm interested in as we come to the end of the discussion part of the the podcast. I'm interested in the the question of um, how camps can be more specific about inviting in um, discussions. How we begin talking about how camp can be more inclusive, whether it is in creating a a, a safe space away uh, or or an inclusive camp atmosphere at camp, how we get um, more people involved in those discussions, more families like Emily, the families that you're serving, Chris, the families you're serving, the families that we're all serving here at camp, how can we get them more actively involved in this discussion? I wanna start by saying that one way to really get that ball rolling is to look at your staff and look at your leadership and ask if there are queer people on staff. Not necessarily that they can take the ball and run with it and create your LGBTQ inclusion program, but just to make sure that there are people in the room who can listen, give feedback, um, and raise the right questions based on their experience. I find that when camps are interested in being more inclusive is that, you know, I, I ask, well, is, are there any queer people on your staff helping you put this program together? No, and these people are very well intentioned, but it's an, it's something that you have to have the you have to have people in the room who can speak to the issue. For, first of all, so that's that's the first way that camps can really set themselves up. And then once they have the leadership in place and they they have people on staff, it's really asking the community, inviting the community to talk back about what they need and what they'd like to see and what they're not getting from other programs or camps as well so that you can be responsive to them and that they are part of this process because they are, you're, we're attempting to build a community and that has to be intentional. It's not a product that you sell to someone. It's something that you build with others. That is great language. Thank you for that, Chris. That's great. 
Absolutely. That was, Chris, you, you summarized what I was going to say. And I think I would just emphasize that youth of all ages have opinions too and have important voices and, and uh, they should be involved, especially if this is a space that decisions are going to be made about, about youth and, and for youth and in like, a, you know, outcomes that are going to be impacting youth. And so their experiences, stories, voices, input is also absolutely essential um, to, to whatever is, whatever changes are going to be made. And I think with what Chris was saying by having people on your staff and some people coming forward and saying, we don't have, um, you know, we're allies, but we don't necessarily have staff members that are queer on our, on our team to help with this conversation. I would, I would challenge those camps to just pause for a second and ask if they've created a safe enough space for staff members to come out because the chances are the percentages are that there's a high percentage chance that you do have staff members that are of the the queer family and and they don't know that this is a place that they can they can be their authentic selves and so just to to pause and look at at what you're doing and making sure that that's a that that you are creating that space for it so that they can join that conversation and and help move your organization forward because that's what it is you're moving your organization forward Nick, I know a lot of people um, come to you for advice in the in the camp community and summer camp professionals. Uh, what's your advice been to those fan, to those camps about um, including people that are going to be affected by these decisions in the conversation? Well, I, I echo also what what Chris and Emily have been saying. I think that it it is really important. You know, you can't really make decisions for a group of people when the people aren't a part of it, or at least you know represented um, in your staff or um, your families or something like that. You know, I often find myself telling camp directors they'll say well what we have a trans kid coming or we think you know we have a trans kid who's interested in possibly coming to our camp what are what are what should we do about their their this their that you know the living the bathroom you know talking to the other families or not who do we share this with and the first question i ask is have you asked them have you know have you asked them these questions and they sort of stop to think well you know they want sort of to have again well-intentioned they want to have this stuff ready and this is what we do with a you know camper who fits this mold but people are going to answer that question differently and some kids are going to want people to know about their identity and they're going to want uh perhaps you to even mention them and uh you know who they are in the staff orientation and some kids are going to want to fly under the radar and they're and, and you don't know by the way you might know not know at all that you have transgender campers um and so talking to the individuals you know at harbor camps we run two other camps one for kids with dwarfism and one for kids with facial differences and i i would never you know think to say okay well all of the kids with dwarfism who attend camp Cineb, um, they're all going to need, you know, after two hours of running around, they're all going to need a ride for the rest of the day around camp. You know, you've got to ask them how, you know, where do your kids 
you know, what, what do they want? Or even talk to the kids directly. You know, what do you want? What is going to make you most comfortable? When do you need help? What do you want us to tell people or not tell people, you know, and, and just like we say to those kids, you know, you know, how, what's your mobility situation like typically, you know, you'd say a similar thing to, um, kids who are LGBTQ, you know, the, I think that sexual orientation is a little bit different. Um, thankfully we've evolved in that in many ways, although not in some, um, and I think now it's really a lot is, is being questioned about gender and who do we tell and what do we do? And again, I would want you to talk to every family individually because they're the ones who can tell you, and that's going to be a signal to them that you do really care that you are listening. And then if you do listen to them and say, you're going to help them and do what you say you're going to do, you better do it. Um, because chances are they're connected with other kids in the community and they might say, this is a great place to send your kid or, you know, by the way, nobody should ever send their kid to this camp. So I think it's really important. Any words of wisdom for a camp that wants to be better, that is, um, but I, but a camp director is nervous about making mistakes, about gendering mistakes, about um, Ross, the logistic parts that you're talking about it, or even Nick, those conversations. What would be your advice to those camps uh, who have good intentions, but are nervous about offending someone, saying the wrong thing, et cetera? A couple of things I can think of, and this kind of piggybacks off of what everyone else has said, especially what Nick just said too, about talking to people directly. The other thing, the reality is, talk to and learn to have conversations with people perhaps before it's at that like make or break decision point time. Like this is, um, you know, we, I don't want to make a policy on transgender kids the first time I have a transgender kid that I know about in my camp because that means they become like the test case where I don't know what I'm doing. And you can have a lot of pre-conversations with a handful of stakeholders in a much less high pressure environment just to learn, um, not to build a policy or create or answer the logistic question, but like this is enough to sort of like to read the books, to watch the movies, to listen to the, to the speakers and get some of those stakeholders that can give you some of their experience so you can learn some of that background. And then that's never gonna tell you what to do in every specific exact situation like Nick said. So part of this is having conversation with campers and with families. The other thing I add to that is that when a young person tells you something about themselves, you have to believe them when they say it and you have to act in a way that affirms that what they have said is true. Um, and especially again, adolescence, I've sort of said is this time you're supposed to, you know, we wanna be discovering who we are, our identity, and that grows and changes. Sometimes the thing that we've been told that we are for a long time isn't, isn't how we're feeling inside. And so I've, I've talked to our staff and counselors about you know, if a young person tells you something, believe them, treat them, you know, in accordance with the thing that they just told you, even if that directly conflicts the thing that they told us last week or last year, um, you know, sometime previously, they, we're giving them the space to be able to explore and understand who they are, which means I, I'm just going to adjust and keep up and let the camper, the one who is, you know, who is the most important person of figuring out themselves, um, to let them be able to figure that out and articulate it. And our language is going to just match and support that. And it might mean having to adjust that even on the fly for someone that I think that I've known from the past two years, but now is coming and, um, and telling me something new about themselves. And I think that adaptability 
that way of listening in a way that's non-threatening and sometimes perhaps telling people this is something I don't know as much about is going to give them the space to take to take ownership and take leadership of the conversation um, so that you can so that you can listen and learn and, and to do that stuff again before you jump into a bunch of logistical things about beds and bathrooms and, and everything else. Um, I think that one of the things we've gotten away from so much is list, is believing people when they tell us something. Um, and I think that's incredibly important for camps, for youth ministry, for churches, for our society as a general rule. Yeah, I think I would just add that that discomfort and, and worry about going into some, some new space is totally real. And that is something I've experienced as we continuously are improving and pausing and soliciting more feedback and voices and better understandings when it comes to like family week, you know, this we've the past few years really been focusing on accessibility um, in this space. um, And also especially recognizing families beyond the, uh, an idea of a two mom and two dad space. Like that's not all our families are. And it is essential that we are, talking about that, listening to that and, and getting feedback. So we're providing the types of spaces that folks want throughout the, the planning process. Um, and it's just for, for camps, you know, and others, you know, any spaces that are working with youth, you know, I was that kid who had lesbian moms and nobody talked about it. And while sometimes I could come out about my family, the reaction was typically like, oh, okay, let's never talk about this again. You know, that, that was the reaction. And so while, at the time I was like, well, I, I didn't get asked to leave, you know, that, 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 that felt okay. There is so much more that that can mean for youth and your worry about uh, hurting others. That's, you know, that's an uncomfortable feeling, but it's one that is showing growth and it's okay to recognize that and to just be upfront. This is something I'm learning. I want to grow. So if I make a mistake or if, if I say something or do something that is not comfortable for you, please let me know. And I, because I want to correct it, I want to get better. So recognizing that, saying that, um, and if you do not, if you uh, are not using correct pronoun, like in one instance, or you are using an old name or like, or saying moms and dads again, you know, whatever it may be, stopping, recognizing it, saying, I'm sorry, correcting yourself and then continuing on, you know, recognizing it, apologizing it, and not making that like about the the person or the the identity. And like, if you want to go back later and say, hey, I recognize that I did X, you know, how are you feeling? Like, I, I, I'm, I, I apologize. I'm going to continue to get better. You know, what do you need from me? Do you need anything from me? You know, like that, like there's a way to recognizing, recognize it and move on. And that your discomfort um, is never, should never be outweighing the importance of some child or family feeling safe and accepted. You know, that their, their, their feelings and their fulfillment and affirmation is ultimately, that's the goal, um, greater than lessening the discomfort of others. Thanks, Emily. That puts a really great point on this discussion and the spot for us to to move on now. So we're going to switch modes then and go to our tool of the week. Tool of the week.
For those of you just joining for the first time, Tool of the Week is something we ask our panelists to bring that makes them a better camp director or makes their camp run smoother. Uh, and we have uh, had a preview in the pre-discussion, so I'm excited for some of these. Um, Gab, since Tool of the Week is, is not new to you, I wonder if you could start us off, please. Yeah, sure, of course. Um, my Tool of the Week, if you've list, listened to a handful of podcasts ago, I recently built my own stand-up desk. And as a reward with the money that I saved with that, I bought a, um, well, I think it's, it, I'm calling it a, um, a skateboard for your desk. So there's no wheels, but there's a rock be underneath it that you can rock on and you can stand on it. And when I was simply just standing at my desk, I realized my legs were getting quite tired. Um, and, but, um, standing on this sort of standing desk skateboard, if you will, uh, has really lessened that. And it's very, very fun. So I would, I would look at that. And Gab, do you have a brand that you recommend in particular? Or have you tried right some now, out? Right now, I'm using the Fluid one? Stance and I love it. And there's different price points as well. The first one is very expensive, but I'm using the level and, um, you can choose different sort of stain of wood on your on the on the stand up the the skateboard as I'm calling it but right yeah fluid stance um, and it's in the show notes great 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 um, and a reminder I will tell everybody how to find the show notes and more episodes as we okay. wrap this things up here Chris what's your tool of the week hi there so <laughs> my tool of the week is something that's readily available but uh, our camp is one week sick leg uh, staff do not get any time off and so by the fourth or fifth night. They are straining to keep it all together. And what has been our secret weapon has been McDonald's. We bring McDonald's hamburgers and uh, cheeseburgers and fries to the staff meeting, which happens at like 11 p.m. And we bring it, we drop it on the table. People literally burst into tears. They fall to their knees and pray. They eat it, all of it. It's, you know, the, the first non-camp food they've seen in a while. It's a religious experience for them. It's, it's really, it's fantastic to see them enjoy themselves so much over something that's relatively easy to get in the outside world. And Chris, are they, um, do they know it's coming or is this a surprise? Like being well, show for the bags? <laughs> it's been about three years running. So now there's a lot of discussion about like, oh, oh, which, which who's going to go to the Thursday meeting? Like people beg to go to the Thursday meeting because they're the ones who want to receive the cheeseburgers when they're fresh. So. That's hilarious. Yeah. Thanks so much, Chris. Uh, Joe, what's your tool? My tool this week is the 20 volt max cordless tool set uh, from DeWalt. DeWalt's just the brand that I use. Um, and, and it came up because... I do, uh, if you've listened to the show for a bit, I do a lot of building stuff at camp, uh, small things from benches to bigger things like buildings. And um, what I found is that if I have a cordless battery operated tool, um, I'm not, I'm more likely to use, um, to use it and, and rather than plugs in and whatnot. We also found that our staff are more likely to feel safe using a battery operated uh, weed eater versus like a gas trimmer. And it's a weird thing. I grew up on a farm, as Travis did. Like a gas-operated machine is just, it's a thing. Like you learn how to use it. But for a lot of people, it's easier if they just charge the battery, they put it in the tool, and they can go. Um, don't let our staff use the things like saws and whatnot but until we've trained them. But weed eaters, you can only get yourself so hurt on a weed eater. But I, I chose a wall. There's many <laughs> other brands that have it. It's, there's an ecosystem where you can buy into any one of these things. Um, choose one and then just go heavy on it. It's uh, It's... They have over 200 different tools you can run off of the same batteries. The key is you buy a lot of batteries. And watch for batteries on sale yes. for all of these things. The reason we own, I, the reason I personally own a trimmer is because they had a deal where if you bought the trimmer, you got a free battery as well. So you got the battery and stuff that came with it plus an extra battery. And I was like, okay, I don't really need a trimmer, but uh, now I have one. 
better than the plug-in electric one I I still I have in the garage. Right. All right. Emily, uh, what's your tool? Thanks a lot, Joe. Appreciate it. So Family Week happens in Provincetown, Mass, and it is very hot this past summer. And so one of the, the saving graces was um, these made good bars, which are sold at anywhere you know, from like a CVS to a grocery store. And they were um, peanut free and tree nut free and also had some gluten free ones. So for our staff that have a variety of dietary needs, it was great to give to be able to have a little pick me up for staff. Um, I think it was really that and any kind of beverage with uh, electrolytes in it was key this summer. Thanks so much, Emily. Uh, Nick, what's your tool? Mine is the Amazon wish list. Uh, we've been using that for years. And in the spring, we um, make people aware that we have it. We're a not-for-profit organization, so we can take donations. Um, and we put some, all kinds of supplies on there and um, people can purchase them and send them. The one hard thing about it is it comes out, a lot, I mean, a ton of boxes and then you're dealing with all this packaging and um, deliveries coming, but uh, it's, it's great because people are, you know, really buying you supplies that you need. So it's super helpful for our camp that goes through multiple things over the course of a whole summer, depending on how much use something gets. And Nick, do you find that you have surprise boxes? Something will show up. You're like, oh, what came from Amazon? Hey, cool. It's something off the wish list. Oh, yeah. I mean, every day it's kind of like Christmas. I never celebrated Christmas. I'm Jewish, but I imagine it's like Christmas where you're just getting packages after packages and you're like, what is it today? I have a, a three-year-old and she uh, really already knows she loves that time of year because she's very excited to see what it is, even though she knows she can't play with it. So um, it's, it's kind of fun and it's really great to uh, just have people be able to know if they come to camp or um, just to know, like, you know, even if I can't, if I don't have a lot of money, I can donate, you know, a gaga ball or a kickball and know that the kids are using it. So it's nice. That's awesome. Thanks, Nick. Ross, what's your tool? Um, so we kind of stumbled into our tour, tool or it, it kind of happened to us. We're on our drive from Minneapolis up to where the campsite is. Uh, there's been a church along the way that has agreed to feed us dinner on the way. So they cook, they, and they, some years get very into it. So they sort of ply the campers with gifts, which is various swag. And one of the things that this church does is a whole like knitting crocheting thing. So a few years ago, they started giving us prayer squares and these are like three inch by three inch crocheted pieces of fabric, basically. They have a little like cross in them, there's a design or whatever. And they sort of said like, here, have some prayer squares. And I honestly, I thought like, well, what, what do you do with these? Okay, fine, everyone grab one and you know, take them. And it was their swag, they got to carry around and do whatever. But then one of our other leaders, uh, who's a pastor was in charge of like the evening worship that we do and she instructed them everyone bring your prayer square down and she developed this whole like prayer square liturgy that was like hold this corner and you sort of like it was um, you know pray for a, uh, a thank you prayer and then a help prayer and then an I'm sorry prayer and then a wow prayer and like and I said, like, where did you find that? She was, oh, I made that up and pulled it out of my butt completely. Like, if you say it with authority, but now that she's done it, it's become this ongoing thing of the prayer square has become like a standard um, piece of our week with this 
with this tool that we never asked for, um, but kind of were gifted and didn't want to turn down, but it's become kind of central. They still carry it home and they've had some different liturgies. They've done something with it. And now I probably have six in my apartment. I love the classic camp ingenuity, camp nonprofit world where someone hands you something and like, hey, we brought you this. You're like, thank you. I look forward to figuring out what we do with this. Exactly. And now it's, now it's central. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's our culture. Right on. That's great. Uh, I want to thank everybody for being here for this discussion today. Thank you to all of our guests. Um, Ross, it's you're the one who had his mic open the last. I wonder if I could just go to you. If people have follow-up questions for you, if they want to talk about running a, a faith-based camp um, in the same way that you folks are doing, that, that you put so much time and attention into, or other questions about things you've said today, how do they get in touch with you to ask that? Sure. Uh, people can visit about the naming project at thenamingproject.org. And we are still pretty old fashioned. There's an email that is staff at thenamingproject.org that will go to three of us. So you can get me or you can get a couple of the other director leaders. We're all volunteers. So we kind of take things as they come and who has time and capacity. So um, you can get three for the price of one email at staff thenamingproject.org. Brilliant. Thanks for being here, Russ. Thank you. Appreciate you sharing. Chris, how do people get in touch with you if they have questions? People can find me. Uh, well, first of all, check out camphighlight.com, H-I-G-H-L-I-G-H-T. Uh, and I'm at chris at camphighlight.com. Could not be easier. Excellent. Thanks for being here, Chris. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. Joe, if people have follow-up questions for you, how do they get in touch? Um, they can get in touch with me through my camp email, joe, J-O-E, at campisbetter.com, and they can follow, they can see some of the stuff I've written about camp at yoyojo.com, Y-O-Y-O-J-O-E.com. I always like the the part of the podcast where Joe puts on his radio voice to read well, out his URLs. growing up near Detroit, if nobody else grew up near Detroit, there used to be a commercial, and the tagline was, just dial diamond, D-I-A-M-O-N-D. And because we had Detroit TV over the air in the 80s, we, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, it is. Thanks, Joe. I, I brought it up with my mom recently. She loves that commercial, too. She still loves the Diamond commercial? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Uh, Nick, how can people get in touch with you if they have some follow-up or want to say thanks, et cetera? Sure. Uh, so our uh, website is www.camparanudic, A-R-A-N-U-T-I-Q.org. Um, like I said, our larger organization is Harbor Camps, which is easier for people to say and spell. So we're also harborcamps.org. And I'm Nick at harborcamps.org, spelled the American way, which is without a U. <laughs> so H-A-R-B-O-R-C-A-M-P-S.org. Org. So Nick at harborcamps.org. Thanks. Great. Thanks for being here, Nick. Thanks a lot. And Emily, how can people get connect with you if they're looking for some follow-up? Absolutely. So folks can find Family Equality at familyequality.org. We also have a separate website for Family Week, which is ptown familyweek.com. I also run Family Equality's podcast, and we've done episodes on all kinds of different topics, including camps. Um, and that is the podcast is Outspoken Voices. 
The website is outspokenvoicespodcast.com. You can also listen to that podcast really anywhere you listen to podcasts. And there will be emails and social media contact on all of those websites as well. So please reach out to myself or just anyone at Family Equality. Um, you can find our emails nice and easy on the websites. And, and Emily, thank you for uh, reaching out to us and um, helping pull together the panel today. We appreciate all the extra effort you put in for this. It's great. Gab, if people want to follow up with you. Yeah, they can check out where I work at waro.com, O-U-A-R-E-A-U, or you can contact me at gabs, G-A-B-Z, waro.com. Thanks, Gabrielle. Uh, so I think that's probably a good point to say, uh, if people have other topics about managing summer camp that they want to talk about, and um, it, please get in touch with us. You can reach out to me, Travis, at gocamp.pro. And uh, we're always looking for, for discussion points about managing a great camp. So please do that. If you have any questions um, or want to see the show notes or the tools of the week, um, then you can go to camphacker.tv slash podcast and find all the notes there as well as previous episodes of the podcast. Uh, any of your podcast apps, you just search for Camp Hacker, you're going to find uh, this and probably some of the other Go Camp Pro podcasts there as well. So it's an easy way to get in touch with us. Thank you to our executive producer, Matt, for doing all the organization to get us all together here this afternoon and uh, for doing the editing and, and our shows. We're grateful to Matt for all of the stuff that he does to support um, Camp Pros around the world. And thanks for the evening, friends. The Camp Hacker Podcast is brought to you by Beth and Travis Allison, summer camp leadership training and marketing consultants. Thanks for listening. Camp Hacker, bringing your world into focus.